Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's still 2020, and thanks to COVID-19, we join each other via Zoom to bring you the fourth installment of a six-part Suspensorama, featuring suspense episodes selected by you, our mysterious listeners. Candy writes, Hey guys, I love listening to the show. I recently listened to a suspense episode called Murder in G-Flat. It stars Jack Benny. It's a good one, and you can't help but like Jack Benny. Suspense famously described itself as radio's outstanding theater of thrills. It was a promise the program rarely failed to meet. At the height of its power and popularity, Suspense attracted some of Hollywood's biggest and brightest stars, including dramatic turns by some of film and radio's best-known comedians, Milton Berle, Fibber McGee and Molly, Bob Hope, Eve Arden, Ozzie and Harriet, and of course, Jack Benny. A former stage and vaudeville comedian, Jack Benny headlined his first radio show in 1932, sponsored by Canada Dry Ginger Ale. Although the sponsors and networks changed over the years, a version of the Jack Benny program remained on the air until 1955 when Benny left radio to concentrate on television. Today, Jack Benny is considered one of the giants of American comedy. As John Dunning notes in his Encyclopedia of Old Time Radio, who else could play for four decades the part of a vain, miserly, argumentative skinflint and emerge a national treasure. Murder in G-Flat was produced and directed by Mr. Radio, Elliot Lewis, and written by frequent suspense contributor Richard George Pettisini. Along with Mr. Benny, the play stars a veritable cavalcade of radio luminaries, Joseph Kearns, Jack Crucian, Larry Thor, Paul Fries, and B. Benaderet. And now, let's listen to Murder in G-Flat. First broadcast, April 5th, 1951. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present... Suspense. Autolite brings you a story of treachery and greed, a story we call Murder in G-Flat, starring Mr. Jack Benny. Greetings, Pepito, my favorite free holy friar. What's on the menu? The special, Senor Wilcox, is Autolite Stayful Battery. You mean you're serving the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use? See, si, see. Si. What is better for quick, dependable starts, huh? Ah, nothing's better than an Autolite Stayful, that frisky friend of car owners from coast to coast. But, but. You don't want one, senor? Everybody wants an Autolite Stay Full. The buxom battery with fiberglass retaining mats protecting every positive plate. 
to prevent shedding and flaking, and to keep the Autolite Stay Full battery power packed for paramount performance. See, <laughs> see, si, si. how you want it, senor. Why, it's perfect just as it is, Pepito, and built to give longer life as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. So, friends, have your neighborhood Autolite battery dealer serve your car an Autolite Stay Full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. See, si, see, si. and remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now with Murder in G Flat and the transcribed performance of Mr. Jack Benny, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Lieutenant. In here, sir. In the rec hall. What's he doing in the rec hall? Well, he thought he'd tune the piano while I was waiting, Lieutenant. Sunday night. Why couldn't you guys pick a better night than Sunday night? My one day off, and I have to come down Sorry here. we had to call you, Joe. This is the guy, huh? Yeah. Hey, you. That's it. C flat. If I had my wrench... This is the lieutenant... Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Lieutenant. Same? Oh. My name is Remington. Hercules Remington. That's it, Joe. We checked. Uh, Pardon me, Lieutenant, but my wife, Martha, is going to be awfully worried. You see, I haven't seen her since this morning. They told me... You haven't seen your wife since this morning? No, and I thought that if I could phone her and at least tell her where I am... Where'd you pick him up? Coney Island, Joe. He called us from there. Yes, and I should have called my wife, too... Look, Lieutenant, I don't want to seem persistent about this. You'll have plenty of time later to call your wife. Now, give the Lieutenant the story in detail, just like you told it to me on the way down here to the station. What kind of work do you do, Remington? Well, I'm a a piano tuner, Lieutenant. Yours is out of tune. C-flat, Lieutenant. See, if I could get my bag, I'd tune... Look, Remington, I haven't got all night. Now, either get on with your story or I'll have... All right, Lieutenant. But... But I really would like to call my wife first. Start your story. All right, all right. But if there's any explaining to be done to my wife, uh, you guys will have to do it. We'll be happy to. Now, go ahead. Yes, sir. Well, Lieutenant, this whole mess started yesterday morning, Saturday. I got up, had breakfast with my wife, Martha, and my Uncle Herman. He's my black sheep uncle of the family. He's a carnival man, came to work at the World's Fair here, and has been living with us ever since. I think he ought to pay at least one-third of the rent, but Martha, well, she feels sorry for him. Anyway, I left the house around 10 o'clock on my way to the Lippenridge School of Music. I usually tune their pianos on the first Saturday of the month, you see, because there aren't any classes there on that Saturday. I catch the BMT at 57th and get off at Union Square. Well, yesterday morning, I got on the subway, just like I always do I carry a little ordinary brown bag with all my tools in it and usually lay it right next to me under the seat. I was just sitting there, thinking hard, wondering how I was going to meet the bills at the end of the month when a man sat down next to me. He shoved something under the seat and just sat there staring ahead. B-flat, D-flat, B-flat, 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 B-flat. I beg your pardon. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I guess I got carried away for a moment. 
four stops later, the man got up, reached under the seat, pulled out a little brown bag, and started for the door. I remember noticing he was bald-headed and wearing big black horn-rimmed glasses. For a minute, I thought he'd stolen my bag of tools, but I reached my hand under the seat and found my bag was still there. I remember sort of chuckling to myself, thinking of the coincidence that he'd been carrying the same type of bag. Well, anyway, I got off at Union Square and walked up to the Lippenridge School of Music on 14th. There are four floors there, you know, a piano on each floor. And I usually start at the top and work my way down. Well, since the school doesn't have any classes on Saturday, the, the place was deserted. Hmm, that one's sour. Yeah, D-flat. I'll soon have that in shape. What the... I zipped open my bag to take out my tuning hammer and my wedges, but, but there were no tools in my bag. The tools were gone, and in their place were bundles and bundles of crisp $10 bills. And then it hit me. The little bald-headed man on the subway. The man who sat down next to me. This bag belonged to him. He picked up mine by mistake. There was no name on the bag, no identification of any kind. I started counting one of the bundles. Each bundle contained $1,000 in $10 bills, and there were 25 bundles. I had just come heir to $25,000. When I got home, Martha was washing some clothes out on the back porch, and Uncle Herman was rolling pennies for his pitch penny concession. I called both of them into the living room, pulled all the shades down closed and locked all the doors and set the bag on the table. Hercules, what are you doing back home so soon? What kind of nonsense is this, Neville? Martha, Uncle Herman. You look I... awful pale. <laughs> I guess I do. Hercules, what's the matter with you? Listen to me, both of you. I, I'm rich. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Hercules, act your age. I'm not lying to you. <clears throat> Look, I gotta well, get out. You must to... be sick. Look, will both of you be quiet for just a minute? Sounds like he's drunk. Are you sick, Hercules? Look, I I'm not sick and I'm not drunk. I've got it right here. You've got what? Look. <sighs> wow. Hercules. Now do you believe me? Now do you believe I'm not sick or drunk? Look at it. Twenty-five thousand dollars. Twenty-five thousand dollars. <clears throat> That's a lot of money. Hercules. Hercules, where'd you get all this money? I found it. Found it? Found it? Yes. I, uh... Listen to well, me, Hercules Remington. Don't you lie to me. Where'd you get all that money? I told you, Martha. I I found it. I haven't lived with you for ten years for nothing. I know when you're lying to me. Now tell me, where'd you get all this money? Okay, if I tell you the truth, I, I know you won't believe Well, me. tell me anyway. Well, all right. Look at this morning, I got on the subway, just like I always do. And some little bald-headed man with black horn-rimmed glasses sat down next to me. When he got up to get off the subway, I noticed he was carrying a brown bag, just like mine. At first, I thought it was mine. But mine was still under the seat. Anyway, when I got to the music school, I opened my bag, and, and all this money was in it. Mm. 
Sounds fantastic. Hercules. But it's the truth. The little man picked up my bag by mistake. I searched this one for some identification, but there isn't any. Then... Then you mean the little bald-headed man has your bag with the tools in it? I guess he does. Uh, it seems odd that anyone would be carrying this much money around in a little brown bag. Odd or not, the fact still remains that I didn't steal it. Well, I guess there isn't any way that you could get a hold of this man, so we'll just have to turn the money over to the police. The... The police? Yes, I said the police. But... But why? Why? Good heavens, Hercules, you don't expect to keep this money. Why not? Which isn't ours. Why? Why isn't it ours? I found it. I didn't steal it, Martha. Hercules! Martha, don't you see? Maybe this is fate. Maybe we were meant to have this money. Maybe if You're we just... crazy. You're out of your head. You, you're talking like a madman, and I won't have it. But, Martha... You didn't come by this money, honestly. It isn't legally yours. Uh, now, wait a minute, Martha. Maybe Hercules is Now, you stay out of this, Uncle Herman. Hercules, you're going to take this money to the police. No. No, I'm not. I'm not going to take this to the police or anyone else. Do you understand me? I'm not going to take this money to the police. Hercules, I don't understand you at all. But mark my words, you'll pay for this. Well, don't uh, pay no attention to her, nephew. But why does she have to be that way? Why can't she understand me just this once? Why can't she see my side of it? See, I didn't steal this money. No, you didn't, nephew. And I'm going to keep it. Sure you are, nephew. Sure you are. You're going to keep it. You bet I am. The, the next morning, that was this morning, Sunday, uh, Martha wouldn't speak to me at all. Her eyes were all red and puffed up. I could see that she'd been crying. And Uncle Herman wasn't doing much talking either. Martha just kept sniffling as she puttered around the stove. Martha, my peach isn't peeled. Peel it yourself. But I... Here, I'll peel it for you, nephew. Thanks, Uncle Herman. Martha, please, won't don't you, you try... Don't you talk to me. Oh, no, don't be too hard on him, Martha. After all, a man's got a right... I told you once, Uncle Herman, you stay out of this. It's none of your business. Sorry. She's plenty mad. Well, ain't you gonna answer the phone? Hello? Uh, Mr. Remington? Yes? Hercules Remington? Yes, who is this, please? I, uh, I want to return your bag of piano tools to you, Mr. Remington. I... I believe I... there was a slight mix-up. I believe in my haste I picked up your bag instead. But... But how did you find me? I mean... Oh, it was quite simple. There's only one piano tuner with the initials HR in New York City. <laughs> well... Well, what do you know? You do want your piano tools back, don't you, Mr. Remington? Uh, listen to me. I... I don't think you'd like the idea of not being able to tune any more pianos. What? And I'd like to have my bag returned. Of course. As soon as possible. Yes. Tonight. Tonight? At 9.30 tonight, meet me at Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden? At 9.30, at the 49th Street entrance... The door on the far end will be left slightly open. And uh, please be prompt, Mr. Remington, with my brown bag. 
You see, it will displease my business uh, partner considerably if he finds I've lost the bag. All right. The, the 49th Street entrance, the door on the far end. Hercules, what's wrong? Well, you're as white as a ghost. I am? You sure are. I guess I should be. That was the little bald-headed man with horn-rimmed glasses, Uncle Herman. I've just lost $25,000. Uncle Herman went in the living room to read the Sunday paper. I went in the bedroom to tell Martha about the phone call. But she wasn't there. In fact, she wasn't anywhere in the house. She was gone, and I figured that she'd probably gone over to her sister's house. I was so nervous the rest of the afternoon, I couldn't eat a thing. I left the house for Madison Square Garden about 9 o'clock. From riches to rags in about 24 hours. And I was back riding the subway. I walked up 8th Avenue to the garden. I turned and walked up 49th Street to the entrance and stopped. Sure enough, one of the doors on the far end was open a little, just as the little man had told me it would be. I slipped in through the open door. It was pitch black. I couldn't see a thing. Hello? Hello? Anybody here? Hello? Is, is there anyone here? What the? I stumbled over something and almost fell. I struck a match and, and looked down at a body. The body of the little man in horn-rimmed glasses. His head was all covered with blood. I started to blow out the match, and then something caught my eye. Lying next to his body was my brown bag with the initials H.R. And next to the bag, covered with blood, was my tuning hammer. bringing you Mr. Jack Benny in Murder in G-Flat. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Senor Wilcox, why does the auto light stay full battery need water like Pepito needs a hole in the head? Well, Pepito, the auto light stay full needs water only three times a year in normal car use because that consistently conserving and constantly cooperating battery has over three times the liquid protection of batteries without stay full features. Ah, uh, and why is the auto light stay full strong as a bull, senor? Because of the fiberglass retaining mats protecting every positive plate. They prevent shedding and flaking and keep the power-producing materials in place. <laughs> Greater convenience and dependable starting, yes, senor? Right, Pepito. And in addition, the Autolite Stay-Full battery gives you longer life, as proved by tests conducting according to accepted life cycle standards. And all these make the Stay-Full welcome as siesta after fiesta. Yes, senor. Right you are. So, friends, visit your neighborhood Autolite battery dealer for an Autolite Stay-Full. The battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. 
your Autolite Battery Man is fully equipped to give you the best in battery advice and service because... Because you are always right with Autolite. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Jack Benny in Elliot Lewis's production of Murder in G-Flat. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Please, Lieutenant, may I call my wife? I want to... Finish your story first, Mr. Remington. You can call her after that. Oh. Oh, all right. Uh, You were standing over the body of this man in Madison Square Garden. You found your tuning hammer next to the body. Yes. Yes, my tuning hammer. Let me tell you, Lieutenant. I was scared. Plenty scared. There I was, standing over a dead man in Madison Square Garden. And clutched in my hand was his brown bag containing $25,000. Who would kill them? Who would... But I couldn't stop to think about that now. I had to get out of there and fast and take my bag and hammer lying on the floor with me. I started to reach for my bag when... A sound, G-flat. Someone had opened up a knife. Whoever was coming toward me... I blew out the match and waited. Who was in that corridor with me? Was it the business partner of the little man? Was it... I started to move backwards, and then a big black figure loomed up at me. With all my strength, I brought the brown bag swinging up from the floor. I ran until I thought my legs were gone. My mind was all fogged up now. I couldn't think straight. Who was the guy who just tried to kill me? One thing I knew for sure, I had to get rid of this money until I could think things out. But where? Where could I get rid of it? I I neared the corner of 59th and 8th Avenue and and then saw it. A bus terminal. Why not? A public locker in in the bus station. I opened the door and walked in. Philadelphia, leaving in 10 minutes. Yes, ma'am, in about 20 minutes. Excuse me, mister. I'd like to have a key for a locker. Just a second. G sharp. What'd you say? Hmm? Oh. Oh, nothing. Uh, What do you know? Haven't got an empty one right now. Have to wait a little while. You mean out of all of these hundreds of lockers, you you haven't got one empty? Well, I'm sorry, mister, but you can see for yourself. A lot of servicemen in town over the weekend. Well, how long will it be? 10, 15 minutes. Maybe a couple hours. Okay, I'll I'll wait. I'll sit over there. I bought a paper at the newsstand and sat down on one of the benches. I didn't even know what I was reading. I just kept... And then I saw it. On page two. A complete account of a robbery that had occurred on Friday night at one of the downtown post offices. Two bandits had escaped with $25,000 in $10 bills. This was it. It must have been. But would the police believe a story like that? Of course they wouldn't. I had the money. It was my tuning hammer there, lying next to the body in the garden. I got out of that bus tournament in a hurry and walked up 8th Avenue. Where could I go? The only place I could think of was Coney Island. Coney Island and Uncle Herman and his pitchpenny concession. It was late and the, the island amusement park was almost deserted. It was cold and close to 11. Uncle Herman was leaning against the side of his concession as I walked up. Why, why nephew, what, uh, what are you doing out this way? 
Uncle Herman, quick, let's go in back. All right. There ain't no customers anyway. Yeah. Now, what happened, Hercules? Did you give the money back to the man? I, I went to meet him at the garden, just like he told me. But when I got there and I found him, he was dead. Dead? He'd been beat over the head with my tuning hammer. Why, Hercules. I was just about to grab my hammer and bag and get out of there when someone made a lunge at me in the dark. But I got away. I went to a bus terminal to put the money in a locker. I had to wait. And then I read that the money is stolen post office money. Oh, you got yourself in a mess, nephew. I'm frantic. I don't know what to do. That's why I came here. Well, I'm glad you did, nephew. Glad you did. But what am I going to do? The well, best thing would be to go back and get that hammer and bag. Leave the money here. I'll hide it for you. But maybe I ought to go to the police. You can't go to the police with that story. They'd never believe you, Hercules. I know, now, I bring know. your bag and come with me, nephew. I got a hiding place for that money that no one will ever find. Uncle Herman locked his place up, and then he led me over to the funhouse. It was closed now, and the place was all dark. But Uncle Herman had a key. He led me up some stairs to a high ramp that people climb on, you know, to slide down the big chute. He stopped at one of them. Here, nephew. Right under this top chute, we'll just pry one of the boards loose a little and slip the bag with the money underneath. No one in the world will ever look for it. There we are. Now, give me the bag, nephew. Here you are, Uncle Herman. Are you sure that no one will find it here? Absolutely, nephew. You and I are the only ones who know where it is. I... Well, there's nothing to be afraid of. Now, uh, hand me the bag. Here you are. That's it. Now, let's just check to make sure that... Oh, what's the matter, Uncle Herman? Where's the money, nephew? The money? What are you talking about? It's in the... Is this what you call money? Why, this bag's got nothing in it but bundles of torn newspaper. I, I don't understand. I... Hercules, dear nephew, what did you do with the money? I don't know. It was in there. You saw it yourself when I brought it this home. This a scheme of yours, Hercules? Scheme? Trying to cheat on your dear old uncle, aren't you, Hercules? Uncle Herman, what are you talking about? Where's the money, Hercules? G-flat. That knife. G-flat. This ain't no time to play games with your Uncle Herman, Hercules. Uncle Herman, where were you tonight? What's that, Hercules? G-flat, your knife. It's G-flat. Looks like this thing has got you going, Hercules. It was you in the garden, wasn't it, Uncle Herman? You killed him. Let's not waste any more time, nephew. Now tell me where that money is. I don't know. Stop lying to your dear uncle, Hercules. I'm not lying. I usually use this knife to scale fish. The smell of fish is stronger than the smell of blood. But I tell you, I don't know where that money is. You're lying to me. You came down here just to throw me off, didn't you? Make me think you lost the money. Uncle Herman, stay away from me. All right, Hercules. So you won't tell your dear uncle. He rushed at me with the knife. I stepped back and tripped over the board. He had pried loose and fell down. But Uncle Herman... He went hurtling over me, head over heels down the long slide. And I got back down at the bottom of the slide chute. He was dead. 
The uncle had his neck broken, Lieutenant. Yeah. What about the money? Well, Mr. Remington's wife turned it over to the authorities this morning about 11 o'clock. She said the money wasn't his and she didn't want him carrying it around. Well, I guess that'll be all, Mr. Remington. You can go now. But isn't it dangerous? I mean, the, the partner is still... We picked uh... up his business partner a few hours after the robbery. Oh. But just in case you happen to come across another $25,000 that doesn't belong to you, promise me that you'll get in touch with the authorities, will you, Mr. Remington? Oh, I've learned my lesson, Lieutenant. Believe you me, I have. Yeah, good. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I almost forgot. I gotta call my wife. She's probably frantic by now. There's a payphone right outside in the corridor. Payphone? Yeah, right around the corner. You can't miss it. Hmm. Well, she's waited this long. I think I'll just tell her when I get home. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Jack Benny. Ah, fine meal, Pepito. So long. Hey, no dessert, Senor Wilcox? I never desert, Pepito. I'm always faithful to those 400 fine products for cars, trucks, tractors, planes, and boats made by Autolite in 28 plants from coast to coast. These include complete ignition systems used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars. Generators, coils, distributors, electric windshield wipers, voltage regulators, wire and cables, starting motors, and many more. And they're all engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're all part of the Autolite team. So, friends, don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good... Ask for and insist on Autolite Original Factory Parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. Next week on Suspense, our stars will be Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz in Early to Death. And in weeks to come, you will hear such famous stars as James Stewart... And Baxter and Rosalind Russell, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elia Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Murder in G-Flat was written for Suspense by Richard George Pettuccini. Portions of this program were transcribed. In tonight's cast, Joseph Kearns was heard as Uncle Herman, B. Benaderet as Martha, and Larry Thor as the lieutenant. Others in the cast were Clayton Post, Jack Crucian, and Paul Fries. Jack Benny may be heard each Sunday on CBS on his own radio program, The Jack Benny Show. And remember, next week on Suspense, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz in a story about a mysterious airplane crash in the mountains of Mexico, a tale we call... Early to death. You can buy.
by Autolite Stay 4 batteries, Autolite resistor type or standard type spark plugs, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. Tonight, Autolite salutes the men and women leaders in boys' clubs all over America. This is National Boys' Club Week, a time to remember that our boys' clubs serve the boy, the community, and the nation by training tomorrow's leaders today. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Murder in G-Flat from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. All right. And that, uh, as we continue our Suspense-O-Rama, that request came to us from... Candy. Candy. With a K, by the way. Uh, So I just want to respond to something she said in the email to us before we dive into this. When she says, uh, it stars Jack Benny, it's a good one, and you can't help but like Jack Benny. I agree. I love Jack Benny. Just want to make sure before we move any further that people understand (laughs) that in general, I love Jack Benny. I think he's a great comedian and a brilliant man. Possibly shouldn't have been cast in suspense. Okay, moving on. (laughs) I'll get to it. All right. First, I want to make one comment about the Autolite commercial at the top. Oh, our apologies to everybody. Well, specifically, I was thinking of the weird sexualization of the actual <laughs> battery. Where he, he, he describes it as a buxom battery. And I yeah. understand that sex sells, but it seems strange to me to describe a battery as, you know, plump and large-breasted, which is essentially (laughs) what he's saying, unless the word buxom has changed dramatically since 1951, which I I don't think it has. Buxom used to mean full of electricity. (laughs) Oh, that's good good to know. But he also... Anything you attach jumper cables to. (laughs) (laughs) That is why Autolite is the frisky friend of car owners. (laughs) Well, that explains... Some feelings I had after listening to that that I couldn't quite explain. <laughs> so is that like Don Draper took over the account? <laughs> yes. Yeah, the it, girlfriend it, who only needs water three times a year in normal use. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it goes without saying, in modern day ears, Pepito for Holy Friar is a hard listen. So that's got to be put in context of the time. Pointing it out, I'm sure we all heard it and went, oh. Is there some context for Pepito that I'm missing? <laughs> like, Because usually in old-time radio, if they're going to do a racial stereotype, they go full in. It would be something about, you know, Autolite batteries look great in a sombrero. I mean, they'd usually be like <laughs> far more racist about it. It, it right. seems more like a, a non sequitur in this era. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason for him to be of... That descent. They may have been None. thinking, oh, Jack Benny's our guest. We have to bring out our fanciest ethnic stereotype to impress him. <laughs> Hold on. Is Pepito perhaps one of the characters from the Jack Benny program? Not that I'm aware uh, not of. Not that I'm aware of either, but I'm just trying to help. Like, there are a... plenty of Jack Benny references in here. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, that happens. Okay. Well, let's delve in. Um, it's a lovely, simple little story. And consequently, 
I'm not mad. It's a basic story. Um, <laughs> I'm just disappointed. I, it's this. I finally figured it out. I said, there's nothing complicated about it. Man finds a bag of money, and it turns out that it belongs to somebody nefarious. We've all heard this one before, and oh, no, what's he going to do? They're coming after that person with the bag of money. Who was hoping to get to keep the bag of money? This isn't anything deep or complicated. But why did it fail me so bad it was Benny he's not a bad actor by any means but he certainly never took us on any kind of internal journey there's no fear there's no angry he never raises the stakes he stays right there ah it's a dead body oh no there's a guy coming at me with a knife it's all Jack Benny delivery and I think that really fails it because you can have this simple story as long as we're feeling more and more terrified of what am I going to do I'm in a really bad spot, but we never felt that. I think I had a very similar reaction, but came to a different conclusion. I was thinking that on paper, this is a really, really good episode that in practice it doesn't quite live up to. Um, And I I liked Benny and liked his performance. It was just the word-to-word pacing of the script. The twists were interesting, and uh, I didn't see them coming, and they were fast and furious at the end. But uh, it just didn't get from beat to beat in a way that built momentum, which I can totally see like that actually could be just the performance of it and not the script. But I felt it was the script. I agree with everything you guys are saying, but I think the problem is that the script is conceived from almost beginning to end as a Jack Benny joke, which I think is why Jack Benny plays it so flat and straight. The fact that he's a piano tuner is a Jack Benny joke because he's notoriously tone deaf. The fact that he gets his money and his wife gives him every reasonable reason he should not keep $25,000. And he's like, I'm going to keep it. That's a Jack Benny joke. The entire thing exists to keep reminding you that this is not an actor putting on a performance, but it's Jack Benny doing suspense. Down to the last line of the entire play, which, uh, again, if you were a, a modern listener and didn't know Jack Benny, you would be really confused by that he's too cheap to use a payphone to call his wife. Right, right. And then we get the fiddle version of suspense the- at the end. So, yeah. I mean, like, from beginning to end, it's Jack Benny jokes, and I think that undermines the suspense. And I think if the suspense elements of the story were weaker than they actually are, it wouldn't have been a big deal. We would have been, oh, this is kind of fun. It's Jack Benny, and he's kind of doing a suspense parody. But because the grim moments and the twists feel real, it doesn't feel supported by the rest of it. I mean, there's a guy who um, is murdered with a tuning hammer, really grim, and (laughs) death by carnival slide. Someone should call OSHA because slides should not (laughs) kill a person. (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting take, Joshua, that this whole thing is supposed to be a fun little suspense episode with Jack Benny and therefore a simple script with a bunch of Jack Benny jokes. I never thought of that until you just brought that up. So that changes my perspective. I agree with you that he's not a versatile actor. Yeah. It's in stark contrast to Lucille Ball from a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. right? He, he doesn't have right. those kind of chops, but right. I think as a listener, you're just supposed to be charmed by the fact Jack Benny is doing a suspense. Yeah. If you took another actor, an actor, period, and put them in this role, I think this would be a really... Nice, lovely, simple idea and script. 
mm-hmm. I think it could be really great. And also that dime joke at the end that he doesn't have money. Yeah, that plays to the audience at the time of that old joke of his that he doesn't spend his money. But it also works in the context of the show that he just lost $25,000. So you wouldn't need to know (laughs) that about him to make the assumption of, oh, he doesn't have a dime to his name anymore. I hadn't thought of that. And I think that's part of the problems this episode is it tries too hard to have it two different ways. And it never fully succeeds on either front. It's not quite fun enough on the Jack Benny front, and it fails to build the tension on the suspense side yeah, of things. I could right. see that this was an existing suspense script that they said, hey, Jack Benny's coming in. Do we have anything that might fit him okay? Yeah, I agree with that 100%. It's so on the nose, though, they had to have added other jokes. Sure. I mean, he mentions cheapness so often throughout this. And I mean, maybe that was the original script's motivation for why this character would pick up an illicit bag of money and want to keep it. I want to keep yeah, it. I'm so used money. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm so used to the trope of the nagging wife who is always wrong, always tearing down the husband. And it was nice to have this reversed here where she was the voice of reason. She was 100% right. It's an idiot move to keep this bag of money. Right. You might want it. You might imagine all the things you could do with it, but there's no way the universe is going to let you, particularly the suspense universe, let you keep $25,000, which I did in the inflation calculator, and it's basically a quarter of a million dollars today. Look at you doing stuff. (laughs) But it helps put some of these in context when they talk about money, because, you know, $25,000... That won't pay for my beer this year. I'd I'd kill a guy with a slide for that much money. (laughs) Depends on the guy, but maybe. Um, You're a relative, yeah. (laughs) Joseph Kearns is great as creepy evil Uncle Herman. Yes. But the trick of it, the the catch of this is a guy whose sense of tune is so sharp he can recognize the sound of a knife that he heard in the dark. Like, that's cool. Thank you for bringing that up. I love that part of this a lot. It threw me early on, and I, I don't know if I heard it wrong or if it's a joke I wasn't getting. When he first started picking up these notes and just calling out the notes, he would said C-flat. But I was like, that's B. C-flat is B. Why would you say it that way? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it stuck with me for like longer than it should have. Of like, I think I've missed some important details, but isn't that just B? I'm like, what? Tim. <laughs> It's a good point. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, technically, but that's a weird way to say it. I had the same thing happen to me over this strange fact, unless I'm missing something, that the police lieutenant has a piano in his <laughs> office. Not only that, he has a rec room. <laughs> yeah. It was in a rec room. Now, I didn't understand where they were, so let's give them the benefit of the doubt. The lieutenant walks in and some guy says, he's here, he's in the rec room waiting for you. We're not really told, like, are they at the YMCA? Like, I don't know where they are, Joshua, to be honest with you. Oh, does he say rec room? Like, I just assumed it was the police station. Like, that's how the lieutenant interrogates people. He just, like, plays come out of my house on the piano until they confess. I don't know where they were. Because he says, I fixed your piano to the lieutenant. Yeah. So this is a place where it belongs to either the lieutenant or the police department. Right. Not this piano. I didn't fix the wise, lousy piano. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say that the police station back in the day had a rec room with a piano for sing-alongs when they needed to, you know, get rid of some of that tension of the day. (laughs) Part of the interrogation room, maybe. 
Let me put this to you in song, young man. <laughs> Let's uh, play Hercule- good cop, alto cop. <laughs> uh, Hercules Remington, unless I'm missing a joke, is just a phenomenal name. Is it a play on something that maybe we don't know because it's a lot of name for this character that's <laughs> unnecessary? I think that's the joke. He's just a little kind of quiet piano tuner and he's got such a dramatic name it's a great name uh, that i'm gonna steal for something someday (laughs) (laughs) i love the twist that the wife filled the bag with newspaper i did not see that coming so when they're at the carnival and they open that bag, I, it was a really yes well-done twist. I like that as well because that ongoing, I should call my wife, I can't get hold of my wife, this mystery of where is his wife, what's going on with his wife, I assumed like something real bad is going on with the wife. I thought it was a little character joke at first just to be like, oh, I, I need to make sure I tell my wife where I am. Um, and then when they come back from the break, he asks again, and I'm like, okay, this is some clue we're being given. And then it really just turns out to be a Jack Benny joke. Well, and it's the uh, withholding the important plot information he needs that if he talked. Yeah, because if he called his wife, he'd find out that she turned in the money. Yeah. And also, I thought that the setup for this whole thing, I mean, I didn't know where this story was going. Of course, none of us do. But I hung on to that wife calling thing at the beginning, and I just assumed one of two things. Either A, he was pretending and he'd actually killed his wife and everybody (laughs) to keep the money. But I will say that at a certain point, before it was revealed, I went, oh, the uncle killed that guy in the warehouse. He's the only guy that knows that he was meeting him there. So I mm-hmm. did see that coming, and that's rare for me because I'm not bright. And usually that <laughs> stuff just zooms right by me. And uh, I, got I had that no one. clue. <laughs> I didn't see that coming either. I mean, I think toward the end when he goes to see his uncle at the Coney Carnival. Island. Yeah, Coney Island. I was like, okay. Uh, his uncle's going to be up to no good or somehow involved in that because yeah. we've got five minutes left and no one goes to Coney Island unscathed <laughs> in a suspense episode. Five minutes of, wee! <laughs> and we really got a whirlwind tour of New York in this episode, didn't we? From Madison Square Garden to Tony, yep. uh, Coney Island. And Tony Island. Went to Tony Island, too. That's a whole <laughs> kind different of disappointing. island. Yeah, big giant just, Tony Danza greets yeah. you. <laughs> Grumpy Italians. <laughs> well, uh, any other thoughts, gentlemen, on this one before we vote? No, no, let's vote. I'll start. Candy's not going to be happy with me. For a number of reasons, I don't think it stands the test of time. And that is because you have to do too much explaining of Jack Benny for a lot of this to land. And then also the story itself isn't great. It's okay. It has one cool thing, the G-flat piano tuner knife thing. But other than that, it's not like, oh, really cool story, because we've heard the story of guy getting money by accident and getting in trouble many times. So not a classic, doesn't stand the test of time, but, you know, I didn't get mad at it or anything. It wasn't dark fantasy or anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm similar. It's certainly historically significant because it's Jack Benny on suspense, which is... sure. That's a great opportunity and fantastic. It is also fascinating to hear Jack Benny play a more or less straight character, even if it's a slight fine-tuning of the character you often know him for. Right. Uh, Fine-tuning. <laughs> 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 um, 
And I like the story, and I like Jack Benny, but as we've been sort of critiquing, the two of them didn't necessarily mash together in a uh, greater-than-some-of-its-parts kind of way. So nope. I don't think it stands the test of time, but it's definitely historically significant. I'm glad I listened to it. Yeah, I'm glad I listened to it. I had a great time. Like I said, I wasn't mad. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't mad. Uh, Eric Webster's story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that could follow just about every single sentence I utter. <laughs> and the sequel, well, okay, I was mad. Uh, well i agree with you guys but i found it terribly charming from an old-time radio nerd perspective and i think that's the spirit in which candy offered it and one of the reasons i chose this as part of our suspense-a-rama is i find it really a fascinating example of suspenses Ability to sell out. <laughs> no. <laughs> Their choice to cast comedians in dramatic roles. And I kind of felt that this episode showed the machinery of it and how it worked. And and I think that's part of why it right. doesn't work as well from a, like, stands the test of time point of view. Because if you don't know Jack Benny. Right. I think we said the same thing about the Dark Tower at the beginning of the Spencerama. Like, uh, you're going to appreciate this more if you know more about Orson Welles. Yep. But I think the Dark Tower, you didn't have to. No. To still appreciate the Dark Tower. But this one, I think you really have to know this stuff about Jack Benny to have it be charming enough to get you through. But still, some great surprises. I love some of the twists. I love the idea of uh, the guy who can hear musical notes and everyday sounds. Um, and I think yep. they pay off on that idea. Charming. <laughs> I'll say that. It's exactly what I wrote. I wrote, this is a charming, lovely story. I think it was enjoyable fluff, and I think it was intended yeah. to be in yeah. 1951, and if you're an old-time radio nerd, it still is in 2020. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That's the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. This is not our first rodeo, as they say. Uh, you can also comment on episodes. You can link to our social media pages to engage in the greater conversation there. You can find uh, information about us, your hosts. And and I ran out of stuff to say again. <laughs> You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have a variety of different contribution levels with corresponding rewards, including, uh, let's see, I can't remember any of our rewards. There's <laughs> an official a brand new car. Radio Listening Society. <laughs> no. A new car um, and a membership button. <laughs> and rice the whole gamut. Card and rice aroni, the San Card Francisco da. treat. <laughs> Card, uh, yes. <laughs> no, we have uh, members-only podcasts. We're doing monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon folks. Um, monthly video newsletters. We got a lot of stuff. Check it out at patreon.com slash the morals. And if you'd like to learn more and join us for our theatrical productions where we actually put on old-time radio dramas, recreations, and original work, we are currently in partnership with Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, where we used to do live recreations of old-time radio on stage, but because it's 2020, we're doing them in our house. So you can uh, go to parksquaretheater.org to see our next show and gather around the computer like an old radio and listen to it like old-timey times until we get back on stage. But I'll tell you this, the cat's out of the bag. Once we do get back on stage, we're probably going to continue to put it out there <laughs> for everybody to watch. 
uh, so you don't have to live in St. Paul. But parksquaretheater.org or mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com is where you can find all the information on our theatrical productions. All right, Joshua, what's coming up next? Next is our penultimate installment of the Suspensorama, and we are listening to The Bells. Until then... Everybody wants an Autolite stay full, the buxom battery... Nothing's better than an Autolite stay full, that frisky friend of car owners from coast to coast. 